Hey, hey. How's everybody doing today? All right. It's a good day to be alive. Hey, let's pray and then we're going to jump right into the message. God, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. Even though some of us may not see it, we may not feel it, God, we know that you are working on our behalf. And so tonight, I pray that we just become attentive to who you are and what you're doing in our lives. That today we're aware of your goodness. That today we're aware of your love. That our minds are clear, our hearts are clear, and that we are ready to receive whatever it is that you want to say to us today. We honor you in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Do I belong? I think that's a question. Whether we would admit it or not, a lot of people ask. We frequently ask that question. Sometimes multiple times a day, multiple times a week, multiple times a month. Sometimes it's a very upfront and in our face question, do I belong? And sometimes it's a very below the surface, uh, beneath the awareness sometimes and deep in our heart that question is existing and it's interesting some of the answers that we get in different moments and in different times of our life it's interesting the answer that many of us have experienced of do I belong and there's some very clear signs there's some very clear things that communicate whether I belong or not for, for instance, let's, let's look at this and just ask yourself, if you were in a, headed in a direction and you ran into this sign, there's, this sign is communicating something to you. It is very bold, it is very in your face, that whatever is beyond this sign, you don't have access to. It's answering your question, do I belong, very clearly, and the answer is No. It's in your face, it's there, and well, what about this one? Maybe there's a no soliciting, no, no loitering, no trespassing. Violators will be prosecuted. It's bold, it's intense. It's whatever is in your life is not welcome here. Whatever you offer, whatever you contain, whatever information, whatever product you're selling, it's not welcome here. It doesn't belong. You don't belong here. Sometimes the response to that question, and it's very clear. But sometimes there aren't just written signs that are posted on walls or on doors or on windows. They're not just little notes that are left under your windshield wiper at Walmart that communicate that you don't belong here, you parked like a crazy person. (laughs) Sometimes they're not just written signs, sometimes they're a little bit more uh, relational. And sometimes we can be engaged in conversation, or we can step into a place where other people are, and there can be signs that your beliefs, your opinions, your political views, your doctrine, your interpretation of Scripture, the way that you handle marriage, or the way that you handle relationships, it's not welcomed here. And maybe that's communicated through someone debating with you, arguing with you, getting passionate about their perspective or their view, But there's something in that conversation, there's something in that transaction that becomes very obvious, you don't belong here. Your ideology doesn't belong here. I don't know if maybe you felt that way, if you've ever been in a a situation where you stepped into a conversation, you stepped into a place, you stepped into an organization, you stepped into a place of business, you stepped into a church. And it became very obvious very quick, you know what, I don't belong here. I want you just for a moment remember what that felt like. Remember, maybe externally, you were covering up your emotions. Maybe externally, you were covering up your rejection. Maybe externally, you were covering up the fact that you were processing what's wrong with me. Why don't I fit in here? Why don't I belong? Maybe you externally covered all that up, but internally, there was probably something going on, very intense, a very awkward, uncomfortable feeling because it became very obvious very quickly you don't belong here. And there was a sign, there was a communication. Or maybe there's this just, uh, there's something about you that repulses me. I don't know if you've ever been in an encounter, maybe some of you guys back in junior high when you used to flirt with the girls, you got this look quite a bit like, oh my gosh, you grossed me out, get away from me, you've got cooties. Um, 
But that's not just a, a junior high look. There's many of us that have had that encounter. Now, maybe it's very subtle, but in conversation, in relationship, it's become very obvious that something about you repulses them, and it becomes very clear you don't belong here. Or this one's very much uh, going in today's world. Very much more subtle that, you know what, whatever you have to offer, whatever thoughts are in your brain, whatever's going on in your world, really doesn't matter because whatever or whoever is on my phone is much more important and much more valuable than you are. And sometimes subtly we can be communicated to that we don't matter and that we don't belong because someone has other things that interest them more. I thought this one was especially applicable to us. That there's a group of people in the background that are experiencing belonging. They're experiencing acceptance. They're experiencing community. They're experiencing relationship. If, if you can see close enough, there there's smiles on their faces. They're engaging in whatever conversation, but yet there's someone on the outside of the group that whatever's going on within the group, within the community, whatever the community is doing is communicating to the person on the outside, you don't belong here. And I think that especially in a place like this, to where many of us come here because we get a sense of belonging. We come here because there are friends that we do church with every week. And we come and before service, in the foyer, around the coffee shop, around the tables and the couches, we began to group up with the people that create for us a sense of belonging. Yet there are people that walk through these doors that while there's a lot of community going on and a lot of groups that are connected, they have this ability to navigate the groups and never get a sense of belonging. Because there's something in our face-to-face relationships with each other that we've forgotten to have an awareness of someone else around us. And there are subtleties in our relationships, subtleties at church, subtleties in our family, subtleties in our life that can communicate to us a sense that you don't belong here. But, but what about something like this? It has a different connotation to it. You know, we saw some private property, stay out. I saw one sign that said trespassers will be mistaken for deer. And there were crosshairs, you know, like they will be shot. There was a lot of great ones that I had to resist putting, putting up here as, um, you know, shoot first, ask questions later, all those kind of things. But this kind of sign has a much different connotation to it. Communicates something different or something like this that's going up on church walls around the world. That everybody is welcome here. Everyone no matter who you are, where you're from, or what you're struggling with, everyone is welcome. It's, it's something that communicates, right? There's a different feeling. When I see private property stay out, there's something that's like, okay, that communicates a sense of I don't belong here. But when I see this, this speaks to me that, you know what? Maybe I can fit in there. Maybe I can find a place of belonging. But just like there are written signs, there are much more subtle signs that communicate a sense of belonging. And one of the greatest gifts that we can be given and one of the greatest gifts that we can give others is the gift of being seen. To just see somebody. How many miracles in the Bible start with and he saw them? And he saw their need and he was moved with compassion. He saw them in their condition. How many people have the ability to go through life and just feel unseen. And when you are not seen, and when you are not acknowledged, there's definitely something that communicates you don't belong here. But how many of you know when you've been seen by someone, maybe someone you respect, and they've noticed you, and you've caught eyes with them, there's, a, there's something in your heart that says, hey, there's a sense of belonging, and I'm going to engage in conversation with that person. We can communicate to people, and we can be we can receive that communication of belonging just being seen or just a friendly smile that says, I see you and there's something about your life, there's something about you that brings me pleasure. Communicates value. I was always taught, raised growing up that we are to look each other in the eyes because when you look each other in the eyes, it communicates value and respect and dignity. And I think when we just take the moment 
to look at someone and to see them and to just give them a genuine smile. It communicates a sense of belonging. Or how about there's an embrace? Now, maybe it's not a physical embrace because some people are like, hey, don't get in my bubble, don't touch me um, until you've passed like these certain tests that we see if you can step inside my personal bubble. But there is a sense of communicating belonging by a sense of embrace, by a sense of touching somebody, touching their life, having the ability to acknowledge. And so we've all been in situations where we've experienced rejection. You don't belong here. We've all been in situations where we've got a sense of this is a place that feels at home. Now, for a moment, just think about what did you feel? In those moments of rejection, what did you feel? What was going on inside? More importantly, what was your reaction? What was your engagement? In the places that you felt like you didn't belong, there was probably you withheld part of your life. You probably didn't speak up as much. You probably didn't engage in conversation. You probably didn't step into or step out of your comfort zone because there was a sense, I don't belong here. But when there's a sense of belonging, there was probably a greater level of joy. There was probably a greater level of engagement and in conversation and a willingness to share ideas and to talk and get to know someone. You began to let your guard down. Why? Because you felt safe. Why is this important? It's important because we view everything in life through one of two filters. Every, either it's a threat that I'm to move away from, or it's a reward that I'm to move toward. That this is something that I want to be a part of, and I want to experience life, and I want to experience what this has to offer. And so when I'm threatened by rejection, I'll run away from it. I'll begin to pull back from it. I'll begin to pull back the secrets of my heart or the the value that God's placed on the inside of me because there's a a, a wall that's been built that says, you don't belong here. And when I feel like I don't belong, I'm going to turn and I'm going to run away from whatever that situation is, from whatever that organization is, from whatever that group of people is, whatever space communicates to me, I don't belong. I'm going to instinctively, because of my own self-preservation, I'm going to move away move away from that place and that space and that group of people. But when I get a sense of belonging, I'm going to run towards that. I'm going to move towards it. I'm going to begin to let my guard down. There's going to be more of an excitement to engage with whatever that group of people is engaged in. I want to belong. You want to belong. We were designed by God with a need to belong and to be accepted. But a lot of people are on the outside looking in. The desire is there. The hope is there. Some of the people sitting in this room, some of our online community, you're sitting there and you want desperately to belong. You want to know that you're valued. You want to know that you're appreciated. You want to know that you're respected. But yet it seems like you've continually been on the outside looking in. And it's no longer a question for you of do I belong? It's a question of can I belong? Because the answer to that question, do I, has been no so many times. You've begun to examine yourself and say, is there anything in me and is there any place or any group of people who can accept me for who I am? It's a question that we need to wrestle with. It's a question that we need to answer because there's a very distinct answer to this question. And I want to look in Isaiah chapter 6 today. If you've got your Bibles, turn, turn there. Um, if you want to just make notes of, of these, I'll give you a few passages. But Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to be looking at the first few, few verses. And Isaiah starts this account, the very interesting phrase, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now this is not just a statement to give us an idea of chronologically where this falls in history. It doesn't just give us a clue to where this falls in the timeline of history, but it gives us an indication of what the cultural climate, the the climate of society was in that period. In the year, not in the day that King Uzziah died, but in the year, in the season. You've got to understand that the countries in that point, so goes the king, so goes the country. So when you got a great king, things are going well. There's economic prosperity. There's peace. Our military is strong. We're defending ourselves from our enemies that are coming against us. And so King Uzziah was significant because he had reigned for 52 years. It was a really long reign for a king in that period of time. He started at the age of 16, stepped into leadership, stepped into that king. And it talks about how good he was as a king and how close he was to God. 
that he did things that were right. He did things that pleased God. He, he did some things that set the country back in a good direction. And so during his reign, there was economic blessing and prosperity. The military was strong and their enemies stayed at, at a distance because they didn't want to come against Uzziah because they knew God was with Uzziah and God was with the armies and, that he led. And, and so he had led for 52 years and then he had come to a place of arrogance and stupidity, made a dumb mistake and actually comes down with leprosy and is moved out of the king's palace. Now, I don't know. I'm sure there are historians that could tell us this, but his son actually took leadership when he stepped out. He had to, because he had leprosy, because he was unclean, he had to step out of the king's palace and he actually lived outside the city. I'm not sure that the country knew that because there was still a sense of stability because they thought Uzziah was in charge. He was still the face of leadership and so the enemies didn't attack him. But now it comes to the place where King Uzziah has died. There's transition in the White House. There's instability in the country. Is our next king going to be good? Is our next king going to be right with God? Are our enemies going to look at this as an opportunity of weakness? So there was panic in the country. There was a sense of instability and confusion about what the future held. And there was great concern of what kind of country are we going to be tomorrow. Our king has died. Our stability has, has left. Our, our security is gone. We're no longer under Uzziah's leadership. What does tomorrow hold? And it says that in the year that King Uzziah died, in a season of instability, I saw the Lord. That's such a powerful statement. And my question to you is, what do you see when you step into a season of instability? What are you looking to? Thankfully, Isaiah looks to the source of stability in the midst of instability. He turns his attention, and I don't know if, if in the midst of chaos and craziness, he is intentionally engaged more into church and more into the temple and, and getting closer to God, or if he was in his bedroom praying, or if he was in his closet. It doesn't tell us what context Isaiah is in in this moment, but he says, in the, in the year of concern, in the year of instability, in the year of confusion, I turned and I saw, I looked to God. And I saw God high and lifted up. And that is such a powerful statement that I saw God high and lifted up. It's so powerful that Jesus kind of teaches us a version of that in the Lord's Prayer when his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? He says, absolutely. Let me, when, you, when you pray, here's what I want you to say. My Father who art in heaven. Two huge keys when you step into prayer with God is that you always start prayer on the basis of relationship, not performance. So many people come to God of, God, I, I know I haven't prayed in, in like a year, and, and I, I, you know, I know I cussed last week, and, and I know I cheated on my taxes last year, and, and I know I yelled at my kids this morning, but God, if you could just overlook that stuff, could we, I have a couple of needs. And they come to God justifying their bad behavior, hoping that their performance doesn't negate God answering a prayer for them. Or they come to God, hey God, man, I've, I've, I've been reading my word and man, I've been praying. And, and so because of that, I've got this thing that I need. And because I've been so good. No, Jesus says, don't, don't come to God on the basis of performance. Come to him on the basis of relationship. That I am your son, I am your daughter, you are my father. And because we're connected relationally, I'm going to come to you. And, and right now, I'm going to remind myself, God, that you are seated in heavenly places. And I'm going to remind myself that you're high and lifted up. And I'm going to remind myself that your perspective is different than my perspective. Because what I'm consumed with is seeing the negativity of our day. I've seen the, the horrible predictions on the news. And I've seen the instability in relationships. And I've seen the instability in our country. And I've seen the instability in my home. And, and I've seen mom and dad fight and yell at each other. And God, all I'm consumed with is the reality and the craziness of my current circumstance. But God, I know that you see something much different that your perspective is higher than my perspective that your vision is greater than my vision God you can see my beginning and you can see my end you can see me in the middle you can see the adversity that I'm about to face God you know how to navigate me around it so in this moment my father who art in heaven my God who is high and lifted up I'm going to remind myself that you're bigger than my problems that your vision is greater than my vision and I'm going to trust you in the midst of chaos amen So he begins to see this incredible thing. I see God. And I see God high and lifted up. 
And what he has seen is phenomenal. He begins to describe these angelic beings, these seraphims. And he says that they are surrounding the throne. And they have six wings. And with two wings, they've covered their feet. And with two wings, they've covered their face. And with two wings, they're flying. And they're totally surrounding the throne. And they're singing in unison, Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. They are worshiping God and and their voices are so loud that that the Bible records that the foundations of whatever room Isaiah found, the whole thing is shaking. Have you ever been in a, a concert where the bass was so intense that the room just shook? I know some of you don't like music loud, but when we get music loud, we're just trying to mimic Isaiah 6. Because it says that the building was literally shaking. They were singing so loud. And here's my favorite part. The room was filled with smoke. See, we're not trying to look like a bar. We're trying to look like Isaiah 6 when we fill the room with haze. Okay? So just cool it. It's okay. I'll pay for that one later. But these crazy angelic creatures that are singing. And... They are worshiping God. And this was not that weird in that culture for this kind of language. In today, myth, mythology and Greek mythology and some of those imageries of gods and different things is kind of weird for us. But this was very common. Matter of fact, it was very common for people in surrounding countries that worshiped multiple gods to have creatures kind of like this in their depictions of their gods. But the interesting thing and the difference of Isaiah 6 is that in Greek mythology and in some of those surrounding countries, the seraphim-type beings that surrounded the throne of whatever god they were worshiping was simply there to protect their god. But in Isaiah 6, God was so powerful that the seraphim had to protect themselves from him. It's a very different kind of setting and scene. And what Isaiah is seeing, very few people... No one that he knows of has ever seen anything like this. And he begins to have a reaction. And there are some things that are communicating to him whether he belongs there or not. And he's beginning to have a reaction to this moment, a reaction to having an encounter with God, a reaction to hearing this holy, 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 holy. Matter of fact, his reaction goes something a little bit like this. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed. I'm a dead man. I am in the wrong spot. I am in the wrong place. I do not belong here. I don't deserve to be here because I am a sinful man. God, you are holy. What I'm experiencing is holy. What I'm experiencing is unreal. It's undescribable. I am a sinful man. I am a broken man. I am dirty. I am filthy. My lips are filthy the way that I talk. God, you know the dirty thoughts that I've had. You know the things that I've done. You know the mistakes that I've made. God, I don't deserve because I'm a sinful man and the people that I come from, we're sinful people. I don't, I don't belong here because what, what he found historically, he, he had some knowledge of his culture and he knew that as our pastors taught us over the past few weeks about the Holy of Holies, he realizes that he's not in the outer court. He realizes that he's not in the inner court. He realizes that somehow he's not even in the holy place, that he is in the most holy place. And remember this veil that God had him put up. It was a clear communication of private, keep out, you don't belong here. Matter of fact, only one time a year, only one time a year was anyone allowed into this place and they would have to go through this crazy ritual of cleaning themselves, of cleansing themselves. And if they made any little bitty tiny mistake in the process, just to make sure they would tie bells to the bottom of their robe, tie a rope around their ankle, and they would very gingerly and very cautiously and very fearfully tiptoe into the presence of God saying, Please, God, don't kill me. Please, God, don't kill me. Please, God, don't kill me. Please, God, have grace upon me. Please, God, overlook my sin. Please let me have washed myself properly. Please let me have done the rituals. Please, please, please. Because if they got in there and they messed up and they didn't do it right, they dropped dead instantly. The bell stopped ringing and the crew started dragging. And Isaiah knows this is where I am and this is where I don't belong. 
I've got to get out of here. So what Isaiah does is he begins to turn and he begins to move away. But there's something remarkable that happens is that while the seraphim are surrounding the throne and they've got their faces covered with two wings and their, their feet covered with two and they're flying with, somehow with their face covered, a seraphim notices Isaiah, notices him. They're holy, holy, holy. God, you deserve all glory. You deserve all praise. You deserve all of this. Holy, holy, holy. Wait a minute, there's, there's somebody here. And he recognizes the reaction of Isaiah that Isaiah is fearful, that Isaiah is starting to withdraw, that Isaiah is turning around and looking for the door. And it says that the seraphim goes over to the altar, grabs a pair of tongs, gets a, a coal off of the altar, and flies over to Isaiah. And very interestingly, it says this. It says that he touches the very place that Isaiah had, had identified in his body as his place of sin. And he touched Isaiah's lips. And listen what the seraphim looks at him. He stops crying, holy, holy, holy for a moment. He pays complete attention to Isaiah, flies over to Isaiah, takes the coal, touches his lips, and says, your guilt is removed, your sin is forgiven. In other words, Isaiah, I know that right now you're scared. And I know that right now you're uncomfortable. But I want you to know this, Isaiah, that you belong here. This is home for you. Okay? This is home for you, Isaiah. This is the place that you belong. You belong here with God. You belong in God's presence. I know you've made mistakes. I know you've sinned. I know you've cussed. I know you've committed murder. I know you've broken. I know that you've struggled with homosexuality. I know that you're confused about your gender. But this is the place that you belong. So whether you're here today, my first intent is to simply let you know this, that you belong here, that you belong in God's presence, that you belong in a relationship with God, that you belong in God's church, that you belong with God's people. Maybe you walked through these doors today, or maybe you logged on on our online campus and there was a sense of, you know what, I really don't belong here because I've done this this week or I've struggled with this. I've done these things or I've lived this lifestyle and I'm just not sure that God would ever accept me, that God's people would ever accept me. I'm here to tell you, you belong here. You've committed murder in your life, you belong here. If you've slept with your girlfriend or your boyfriend this week, you belong here. If you're gay, if you're lesbian, if you're homosexual, you belong here. If you're dealing with drug addiction or alcoholism, if you're dealing with unforgiveness, if you've been divorced, if you're separated, if you've yelled at your parents this week, if you've cussed your parents this week, we could go on and on and on. Whatever it is that you've done, it doesn't disqualify you from being at home in God's presence. Because you belong here. Look at these verses to support this in Hebrews chapter four. So powerful what it says here. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, he's the high priest. He's the one, the high priest in the Old Testament was the one that went into the holy of holies and he laid the sacrifice on the altar that would atone for the the nation's sin that year. And so this is an account of Jesus as the high priest, the high priest of all high priests. Going in before God, he's ascended into heaven. Let us hold firm to the faith that we profess. For we do not, listen to this, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. It's not about your perfection. It's not about your strength. God identifies with us in our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every single way. No matter what sin you've committed, no matter what temptation you've experienced, no matter what thought has hit your mind, Jesus can empathize with you because he was completely human. You experience seasons of doubt. Jesus had seasons of doubt. 
Jesus struggled with who he was. Jesus struggled with his identity. Jesus struggled with thinking he was crazy. Could I really be the son of God? There's no way that I could be the son of God. There's no, to the point to where God has to speak to him audibly two times in the New Testament. Listen, boy, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. Believe in yourself. And then Jesus would go about and then I'm not sure that, man, what if I'm wrong? What, this is crazy. This, the thing... God speaks to him again. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. He understands what it's like to have weakness and struggle and doubt. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with fear, with doubt, with insecurity, with worry, with hesitation, with what if I haven't done enough? What if I didn't do enough Hail Marys? What if, I, what if I didn't pray that prayer right? What if I didn't quote that scripture right? What if I didn't wear the right clothes? What if my makeup's not right? What if my hair's not right? What if my shoes ain't right? No, no, no. Approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may show God how good we are, show God how perfect we are, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You belong in the presence of God. Now, full, full disclosure, full disclosure. When you step into the presence of God, there are going to be moments and times where you experience the love of God, you experience the acceptance of God, but then there's going to be some moments that, like Isaiah, are uncomfortable. Because every time we step into the presence of God, God puts his finger on a part of our life that's not right. Not because he's mad at you, Not because he's angry at you. Not because he's looking to be mean to you. But because he knows that thing that's not right in your life is keeping you from living the best life that he created you to live. He did not create our bodies for sin. He did not create our lives for sin. Some of you that are hearing me say, man, if you're struggling with homosexuality, you're welcome. You belong in the presence of God. You're struggling with that. Because wait a minute. It says in the the Bible that those that do that, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You're right, it does. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God here on earth, God's best life for them. They're not going to inherit, they're not going to live in God's best life for them. Because listen, this is maybe going to help some people. I've really struggled with this whole, there's grace and then there's law. It's either about how you live or it's not about how you live and which one's right and which one's wrong. There's a huge debate going on and there's, and what we've done as, as preachers and pastors is we've confused two individual directions of message content, of messages, of teaching. One of those is about how we get to heaven. The other one is about how we get heaven here. The thief hanging on the cross didn't do a dadgum thing to get to heaven. But think about what it took to get Jesus to earth. There had to be a woman that submitted her life, had to go through nine months of pain and labor. There was some humanity involved in getting heaven to earth. And so all we have to do, the Bible says there is one unforgivable sin. I used to be so scared of committing that sin and not knowing it. And I was like, what is it? Is it like the 700th lie that I told? Is it the cheating on my report card? Is it like lying to my parents like what is it there's one and man as I grew and as I matured in my relationship with God I, there would be moments literally I'm, I'm freaking out saying God have I done it have I made it you know, am I okay he said would you just relax there's one there's one sin that can't be forgiven everything else has already been paid for the one sin that can't be forgiven I was talking to a guy about this the other day and and we were talking about God and and, and we got on the subject and because he was asking me like what kind of rules do you have to follow to be a Christian. I'm like, man, it's not about the rules. And I said, there's really just one sin that's unforgivable. And I was going through this, you know, it scared me as a kid. And he, he's like, he stopped me mid sentence, like, well, what is it? And like, he, he's intent. Like, it's simple. It's rejecting the forgiver. Rejecting Jesus is the only unforgivable sin. Everything else, every other sin that you've committed, every other mistake that you made has been paid for at the cross. The only thing you've got to do is accept Jesus, trust on him, believe in him, ask him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, and you are sealed. You are a son, a daughter of God. That's all you've got to do to get to heaven. It's easy. But if you want heaven to come to earth, it's a much different lifestyle. 
It's a much different ballgame. Because sin still carries consequences. The Bible says that the wage of sin is death. Death is simply the separation of any two things. And when you live a lifestyle of sin, you separate yourself from purpose. You separate yourself from people. You separate yourself from God's calling. You can never separate yourself from God's love or God's forgiveness or God's grace. Because the Bible says there is nothing, nothing that can separate me from God's love. But you can separate yourself from everybody else and everything else in your life. So every time you step into the presence of God, God's going to lovingly put his finger on something in your life that needs to be dealt with. But then he's always going to provide you with the coal to touch that part of your life to say your sin is removed, your guilt is removed, your sin is forgiven, you are whole, you are complete. Now go live the life you were created to live. Amen. Now look at this. As soon as Isaiah has this encounter with the seraphim, he hears the God having a conversation. God identifying a problem. And God asking the question, I've got this issue, whom can I send? There's people I need to communicate with, whom can I send? And Isaiah immediately, now with confidence, now understanding that I belong in the presence of God, that this is home for me, that I don't have to be afraid of God. I don't have to run from God. I don't have to, I don't have to get out of here to protect myself or save my life. Now he says, hey God, I, I'm right here. Instead of trying to hide and get out of the room like he was just two minutes ago, now he said, hey, wait, right here, right here. I, I, I can go. Here I am, send me. And this is so important for us to understand because when we develop a sense of belonging, it always leads to a sense of purpose. And so the people that are walking through these doors, the people that are part of our online campus, maybe you're struggling with your purpose. Maybe it's because you haven't found home yet. Maybe it's you haven't found that group of people. I'm convinced that's why there's so many causes. That's why there's so many movements. That's why there's so many things going on in our culture because people are simply looking to belong. And so if I join this cause, if I join this movement, then it gives me a sense of I'm okay and I belong and I'm valued and there's other people that think like I think or do what, it gives them a sense of purpose. Their sense of belonging leads them to a sense of purpose. But we need people that understand they belong with God. But the church has for so long communicated judgment and rules over relationship. And when people walk through those doors, they walk through those doors like Isaiah, not knowing that they belong here. There's two things that I want you to walk away today with. The first one I've made very clear is that whoever you are, wherever you are in the world, you belong here. You belong. Maybe there's been something communicated from this stage. Maybe you've had an encounter with a church member. Maybe you've had a chat in our online campus that's communicated maybe inadvertently you don't belong here but I'm here to tell you today in our human imperfection sometimes we've communicated in ways that aren't in line with what God's saying and God wants you to know you belong here amen come on the second thing I want you to know is not only do I want you to have an awareness that you belong, but you have a responsibility to help others know that they belong. You are a seraphim that has two jobs, to worship God and to see people. When you walk through these doors of this church, you're not just a church member, you're a seraphim. You are to worship God with everything within you. And I would love that this house, this campus becomes the standard of worship. That we worship with intent. That we worship with intensity. That we worship with passion. So much so that the cars driving by this this place would literally shake. Because of the intensity of the worship that happens in this place. But I pray that in the midst of our worship, in the midst of our community, we would never stop seeing people. And that we would never overlook our responsibility to see someone, to smile at someone, to reach out and pull someone into our conversation. 
I had an experience about a year ago, and I went to a church that was not a Victory Life church. They didn't know me. They didn't know I was just there to, to actually meet a friend. And I walked in the front doors and was greeted with the best greeting. There was beautiful signage all over the property of everybody's welcome. You're welcome here. We love people. And I walked to the front door and someone swung the door open for me and shook my hand and gave me a high five. And once I walked through the threshold, not a single person acknowledged my existence. We can do a really good job of making people feel welcome in the parking lot or at the front door. But what happens when they walk through the doors? There was a whole area that said community center connections, couches and chairs, and there was people and groups huddled. And no one saw me. Not that I'm anyone. I'm not talking about, man, I'm someone to be. But I am a son of God. I am a person. I do have value. Just like every single person sitting here, when you walk into a place, you deserve to be acknowledged. You deserve to be seen. You deserve to be heard. You deserve, you deserve to be greeted and treated with respect and dignity. And we got into the service, and it was so interesting. The worship team struck it up and was, was going. And they were singing this song of, Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows your name. Have peace. Have confidence. Jesus knows your name. And I thought, man, that's a great song. And that's awesome that Jesus knows my name, but do you? Do you know my name? Do you know my story? Do you know my struggle? Do you care? And I don't want us to become a church that's just programmatically greets people and has systems in place that move people through a robotic system. I want people to know that we care. And you know what? Sometimes it takes more than just a pastoral team to communicate care and dignity and value. It takes you sitting in the chair, a seraphim that's worshiping God, noticing someone that's next to you, noticing someone that's uncomfortable, noticing someone that's saying, you know what? I'm not sure I belong here. I'm not sure because nine times out of 10, that is the initial response that people have the first time they encounter the presence of God. I'm not sure I belong here. I'm in the wrong place. I'm getting out of here. See ya. And sometimes it takes us reaching out and saying, you know what? This is home. I know it doesn't feel like it yet, but this is home. And if you'll just stay, it's not my job to fix you. It's not my job to preach at you. It's not my job to identify your sin and to fix you. It's my job just to make sure that you know you belong in God's presence. And I promise you, if you'll stay in God's presence, God will fix you. God will love you. How do we, amen. How do, how do we do this? How, how do we do this? Romans 2, by the kindness of God. It's the kindness of God. You know what that, that means? It means that God is pleasant toward. It's the exact opposite of harsh and bitter, hard and sharp. It just simply means God is pleasant. And sometimes the best thing that we can do is see people, is speak to people, is listen to people, and when it's appropriate to reach out and embrace them and just let them know you belong here. I want you to know that you belong. And I want you to know that you have a responsibility to help others know that they belong because we want them to run towards God, not away from God. We want them to run towards that place they belong because when they run towards that place they belong, they're going to connect with belonging and get a sense of purpose and meaning for their life. So for those of you that are here, those of you that are online that are saying, can I belong? I've been told no so many times. I've been rejected so many times. You don't understand what I'm struggling with. You don't understand what I'm dealing with. I want to tell you the answer to that question is absolutely yes. You may not know it yet. You may not feel it yet, but just hang in there. Just stay in God's presence. God will love you. God will serve you. God will grow you. God will embrace you. God will give you a sense of purpose and meaning because God's presence is home for you. God's presence is home for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, we just come to you and I just, I pray that anyone here that struggled with that sense of belonging, that you just begin to communicate to them This is home. 
I pray that they would get a sense of your kindness and your love and your acceptance and your approval. That we have a Savior, we have a high priest who empathizes with us, who knows our depression, who knows our sadness, who knows our rejection, who knows our struggle. And many of us maybe have wrestled with that. God, could you really love me? Could you really give your life for me? Could you really change me and help me overcome the things that I'm facing and I'm dealing with? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want to give this as just a first step. If you're here and you've got that question, can I, can I really belong? And I, I want to belong and I want to be in a relationship with Jesus. I want to take that step of accepting him as the Lord of my life, as the leader of my life. I want to put my trust in him. And you feel that drawing, you feel that tug, you feel that God is looking at you today saying, you're home. You may not feel it, but you're home. If you'll trust me, I'll lead you. If you'll trust me, I'll work with you. If, if you'll trust me, I'll help you. If you'll trust me, I'll give you a sense of purpose. If you'll trust me, I'll take you on a crazy journey. If you'll trust me, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. The Bible says that God stands at the door of our heart and knocks. He doesn't force us. He simply draws us. He doesn't kick down the door of our heart and overtake us. He simply asks for permission to come in. So if you're here in this moment, in this place, this is an Isaiah moment for you. This is a, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. This is a moment where God touches you. Your sin is removed. Your, your guilt is removed. If you're here, we're going we're gonna to pray this prayer. And I just simply want you to pray this from the depths of your heart. There's nothing magical about the words that we say. The Bible says that when we believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God, when we believe in our heart that Jesus went to the cross and paid the price for our sin, when we believe in our heart that he went to the grave and on the third day rose again and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, when we believe that in our heart, confess that from our mouth, that we are saved, that old things are passed away, that there's a new life, a new beginning, a new start, a new salvation. So we're going to pray this, and, and everybody in the room is going to pray loud and proud with you. If you would, just mean this from the bottom of your heart. So if everyone would just repeat after me, say, Father, today I admit that I've made mistakes, that I have sinned, but I realize today that your presence is the place where I belong. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price for my sin, that I am no longer separated from you. Help me find who I am, where I should go, and the life that you've called me to live. Thank you for saving me and setting me free. I accept you as Lord and leader of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's celebrate. And I just, I just want to do this before we start moving around. So I want to take 30 seconds while the band just quietly plays. And I want you to take 30 seconds. God, what are you speaking to me? 30 seconds of not me talking over the microphone, nobody singing, nobody shouting. 30 seconds. The Bible says that in the stillness, God will speak. In a still, small voice, he'll whisper. I just simply want, God... What is it that I need to hear today? Let's just take 30 seconds. Close your eyes, bow your heads. Let's just have 30 seconds of silence. God, we're just attentive to you and we want to hear your voice. We want to be sensitive to your voice. And so, Father, I pray that all over this room you were speaking to individuals. 
If you didn't hear anything, that's okay. It's okay. I know that God will continue to speak. God will continue to speak. You continue to listen. And just be sensitive. Find those moments in your life where you can be quiet and direct your ears towards heaven. God, what are you saying to me? I just want to, if everyone would just stand, we're going to just ask the team to come back and just lead us. If you're online and you need to talk to somebody, we've got prayer teams here in the room. We've got prayer teams and ministry teams online. If you'd click the banner there, they can connect to you in a private chat. If you need to talk about anything that's going on in your life. I understand if you've got to move, if you've got to go, you're kind of officially dismissed. But we're just going to take a moment because I believe there are some Isaiahs in here that need to have an Isaiah moment with God. They need to encounter God in a, in a real way. So if, for some of you, that's coming forward and praying with a ministry team member. For some of you, if that's kneeling at your chair. For some of you, if that's getting a friend and just praying. If that's for some of you just standing alone and just worshiping as they worship. We're just going to take just a few minutes. We're not going to draw this out. We're not going to labor this. We're just going to see what God wants to do in this space and in this moment. So Father, we just come to you and we just uh, see you high and lifted up and we just step in confident because of who you are and because of what you've done Jesus not because of our performance not because of what we've done not because of anything that we deserve we're just stepping in because your word tells us that we can come into the throne of grace boldly with confidence so there are people in this room that need to be touched there are people in this room that need to be healed there are people in this room that need to experience the forgiveness and the grace of God there are people in this room that need to take the step of forgiving others that they've held bitterness towards God there are things that you want to touch in our lives that are keeping us from living our best life our our life of purpose and so God we just thank you that in this moment Jesus you change everything you break every chain fear has to bow when your presence steps in the room we can stand boldly face to face with our father but fear has to bow chains have to go addictions have to be broken because the king of kings the king who is holy 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 stands in this place stands as our god stands as our friend stands as our savior so god we just honor you and we thank you and we just declare that jesus You change everything. You change everything. In Jesus' name, pray. Amen.